Welcome to Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. My name is Austin Stewart with the Michigan Opera Theater. This Opera Here podcast is here to give you the inside scoop of the opera production scene on stage at Michigan Opera Theater, to dive into some of the stories, get to know the characters, and learn a little bit about what happens behind the scenes with some guest artists that visit us here in the studio. We're thankful to WDET and to Jake Neer for their help in producing the Opera Here podcast along with Michigan Opera Theater. I'm joined here today by Miss Diane Schaff. Hello, Diane. Hello. How are you? I'm great. It's wonderful to have you here again. Diane is a chorister for Michigan Opera Theater, a member of our touring ensemble at Michigan Opera Theater, and a beloved feature of the musical life here in Southeast Michigan. So thanks, Diane, for finding some time for us. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) My goodness, what an introduction. (laughs) So we're here today to discuss the wonderful work by Mozart and his librettist Lorenzo da Ponte. This is The Marriage of Figaro. This was their first collaboration together in 1786, premiered at the Borg Theater in Vienna. It was the first of three collaborations between Mozart and da Ponte. They would go on together to write Così fan tutte as well as Don Giovanni. Now, this really is at the heart um, of the golden years of Mozart's time in Vienna. He had arrived there as a young boy seeking a court appointment in the court of Joseph II and never really found that opportunity available to him, if you know the film Amadeus. Amadeus. That's my whole music history knowledge of all of Mozart is Salieri's description of this genius plaguing him and his life. We might have to have a slightly deeper conversation on all the lies that were right? told to you oh, in that movie. Please. Okay, all right. But it's it's a it's brilliant film. It's such a good story. And one of the characters that we're actually introduced to there is Da Ponte. He's given just a moment on the screen. But uh, he was a collaborator of all of the great Viennese composers of the late 1770s, early 1780s. Um, this includes Salieri, hmm. um, Mozart's famed rival from that film, Amadeus. But Nozze, The Marriage of Figaro, is the first collaboration between Mozart and de Ponte. It is a coming of age for both of them and really a remarkable work of the operatic repertory. I think personally, in my opinion, probably the perfect opera in Hmm. many ways. It's one of those works that nothing else is needed and you really can't take a whole lot away from it right? um, and still have the work as thorough and beautiful as it is. So this is based on a play, um, a French play by a man by the name of Pierre-Augustin Caron de Beaumarchais. And those aren't even all of his names. (laughs) This came about in the late 1780s. It was a work that was seen on the French stage. It followed shortly after another play by Beaumarchais called The Barber of Seville. Now, of course, we might know the story of the Barber of Seville from Rossini's operatic adaptation that happened about 20 years after Mozart's death. But it was still a well-known story, both as the stage version and as the operatic version, the play version and the operatic version, even in Mozart's time in Vienna. 
The Barber of Seville takes place, um, and there are two characters that we meet right at the start. They are the Count Almaviva and the beautiful young Rosina. Count Almaviva obviously has a lot of money, but he decides that he wants Rosina to fall in love with him because of his character and not his wealth. And so he disguises himself as a poor student. This is a common theme it in sure opera. Is. Yes. Uh, we just talked about that in Rigoletto we a sure couple did. of weeks ago. Yeah. And in this moment, um, the Count is trying to win the heart of Rosina, who is a ward of Dr. Bartolo. Dr. Bartolo is her guardian who also has designs on marrying her, Mm -hmm. um, which causes quite a kerfuffle. Um, And so the Count goes to his handy barber, that is Figaro, um, to get some assistance in stealing away Rosina under the cover of night. And they're successful at this. They're happily married. Fast forward a little bit and we get to the start of the marriage of Figaro. Mm -hmm. Now, Figaro and Susanna um, are really the two main characters of this story. It's become, in the case here, the servant story. Barbara of Seville was telling the story of the count and the future countess, Dalmaviva. But this really takes place around a new set of protagonists. The story takes place entirely in a single day. The original title of the play was La Folle Journée, or The Follies of the Day, The Crazy Day. (laughs) And it's one of those great stories that takes place from sunrise to sunset. It's fantastic. And you get a sense of the bubbling and the, the frenetic moving and running about the palace from one room to another. Um right from the onset of the opera with this fantastic overture by Mozart. The problem at the heart of this story is an ancient practice called the droit de seigneur. And that was the right of the master of the house to spend the wedding night with a servant girl in place of her new husband. That's awful. It's awful, Diane. You are terrible. That's a terrible practice. But it was... Power. It was practiced from millennia ago up until the 1830s. Right, right, right. So you got to get 1830s for heaven's sakes. Yeah, so you got to get through the age of enlightenment, you got to get through the revolution and finally, you know, it's when you're through the revolutions uh-huh. that you start to get the middle class and hmm. the servant class has right. some privileges and some rights that come their way. So finally that is abolished. But the problem with this opera or the problem that starts this opera is that the Count has recently, of his own enlightened perspective, decided to abolish this droit de seigneur. Oh. But... But... Susanna 
is the next up to be married. And he decides that he might have given away that right a little bit too early. Oh, because she's just so alluring. So alluring. Whatever. And so he's given them a new room in the palace. And Figaro in this first scene is very excited to measure the room. And he counts cinque, dieci, venti, trenta as he measures the length of the room to make sure that their new wedding bed will fit there. All the while, Susanna is off to the side, demanding his attention that he admires this new veil, this new capellino that she has just made for her wedding day. That's so funny. So we get that immediate relationship between the two of them. They are absolutely enamored with each other. so great. And as he's measuring the room, you'll hear that his musical line climbs each time he counts the next phrase. He goes a little bit higher. And she gets a little bit more demanding and fast-paced with like, guarda, guarda, guarda me. Like, why aren't you looking at my new hat? He's got designs on what's happening in that marriage bed, I'm telling you. He's very concerned about the size of that bed. Well, and he's so happy because he thinks that the, he thinks that it's really going to be his marriage night. He's not going to have to share it with the Count. There you go. And that's the problem we'll look at Mm. right now. Uh, After this introductory duet between Figaro and Susanna, we find out that Figaro hasn't really taken into consideration the locale of this new room. Oh, oh. But where is it? It's between the rooms of the Countess and next door to the Count. So the next big character that we're introduced to is Marcellina. Marcellina! Now you sung Marcellina. I have a little bit, and I'm uh, actually going to sing it this spring with Opera Grand Rapids. Brilliant. That is so exciting. So excited. So you should definitely go see Diane sing Marcellina on Opera Grand Rapids. (laughs) What is so delightful about this character, she's the governess of the house, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And she's kind of this older, established female figure. Mm-hmm. She's, got, um, she's got a lot of assets to her that, <laughs> that Susanna doesn't have right. yet. Right. <laughs> assets. <laughs> and, and they are, um, there is... I would say it's playful competition, but it's not even, it's pretty harsh right. competition. Well, Marcellina uh, still thinks that she's in the running Absolutely. Uh, for Figaro, and she's just not. Well, but what does she have on Figaro? Well, she's got a little contract. She's, she's got, got a, got a piece contract. Of, piece of paper. That if he's not married by a certain age or doesn't pay back this 10,000 scooty or whatever uh-huh, it uh-huh. was that she loaned him, she gets to marry him. And so she's banking on today is that contract date. Figaro and Susanna are down to the line on this. Marcellina is hot on Figaro, and she's going to do everything to try to throw her own wrench into the situation. Get her assets involved. (laughs) Her contractual assets. That's correct. And so we've got uh, got both the Count and Marcellina who have their own designs on breaking apart this relationship. And then this duet is so beautiful because (laughs) it's so funny because they're kind of 
poking at each other, and you can feel them musically poking Susanna mm-hmm. and Marcellina at what they dislike so much about the other person. Right, with just this veiled, veiled, you know. Oh. And Susanna veiled. makes all these references mm. to um, Marcellina's former life as the love of all of Spain. <laughs> and and she winds up by her, her biggest critique is l'état, 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 your age, your age, your age. And so it's it's a bit of ageism, but it's um it's cute and charming and Marcellina doesn't let her guard down too much. No. But she does get defeated. Eventually. Eventually. She's still in the running though and she's convinced of it. Right. She's gonna she is conspire. Holding on to that. Yeah, that's right. She is going to conspire. So this is Via Resti Servita, the wonderful duet for Susanna and Marcellina. What's next? So after Susanna and Marcellina leave the stage, we are then introduced to the young page boy by the name of Cherubino. Oh, Cherubino. Which looks like cherub in English. Mm-hmm. And so he's this young, angelic character. Um, it's sung by a mezzo-soprano because his voice wouldn't have been changed yet. He's that young. He's that young. But he is starting to feel... The passions of first awareness of his desires for women, Mm -hmm. shall we put it that way? Yeah. And he sings this wonderful aria, Non so più cosa son cosa faccio. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I see one woman, I fall in love with her. I see another woman, I fall in love with. He is so enamored. With every woman that he sees, he just has all this love and affection to give. He doesn't know. This is just like he does not know his head from his tuchus. This is he just this is pent up aggression. Yes, all and of this stuff. Just love and yeah, just it's wound up. So jovial. He's wound up. such a wonderful um, character, I think, in this opera, too, uh, um, because of the contrast, right? Here's this bright first love nuttiness in contrast with the, you know, the old decrepit count and countess. They're not old and decrepit, but they've been married a little bit now. They've been married like two years. They're still like early 20s. But still, you know, they're the old couple, right? Figaro and Susanna are just about, you know. And then here's this guy who's like, I kissed a lady. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You know, and and the old guys, Bartolo and Marcellina, who are like, give me love. The desperation for that last little glimmer of hope of love somewhere uh, for the rest of their lives, you, you know. all these just very perspectives on yeah. wanting love, having love, but wanting another love right. for the count. Right. Um, the countess in Porgia Amor, oh. this next piece, yearning for the love that she's lost. Right. You know, where have my years gone? Um, you know, she's, they've been, she's in her early 20s at most. The count is already ignoring her. You know, he'll go on, and when he realizes that he's messed up, 
there's a moment later in the opera where we get a sense that he really does still, you know, care for his wife. Yeah. Um, and that comes through when he says her name, Rosina. Yeah, yeah. And that is a magical moment later mm. on when he finally says her name mm. instead of referring to her as the countess. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite moment mm. in the opera, probably. Mm. Mm. Um, and you see that between them. And she is just so yearning for this in Porgia Amor. Right. What, you've sung Porgia Amor a bit, oh, right? Oh, yeah. So tell me about your a, take on this it's aria. It's such a wonderful, wonderful aria. Um, and I think it's a... Again, it's that um, that that uh, cr- everybody knows that feeling, that moment where the person doesn't quite look at you the same way anymore, and mm. you oh, you just the ouch of that, um, and oh, and it's in the. I mean, it's in. It happens before she even starts singing. You know, the the introduction to the aria is just, it sets up this whole thing. I remember the most uh, touching performance <laughs> that I ever saw of this was a friend of mine, and and it was literally during the introduction, and I was in tears. I, You know, she just had us from that very moment, because the music says it. Give it back to me. Bring back my heart. Bring back my treasure. I want it, you know. I'm here for it. I'll give up everything for it. Um and why, you know, right? Like, come on. <laughs> but, you know, it's really, it's what gives you life. It's what gives you the, the reason to do all the frenetic stuff you do on a wedding day for your servants, you know. in here that um, in the second half of the aria, which um, you'll appreciate more fully in, in, in the performance, um, she has kind of this realization that, you know, maybe maybe she's got some authority here still. Maybe mm. there's something she can do. Mm. She's going she's gonna to try some last-dish efforts. And yeah. that's really where she comes to building the rapport with Susanna and Figaro. And that's where all these characters that we've met so far really start to divide into factions, I Mm -hmm. think, after Porgia Moore. Oh, that's interesting. And so you have the people who are after true love, I think, which is Susanna, Figaro, and the Countess. And then you've got frankly, the conspirators who are out mm. to sabotage this wedding day. Sabotage true love. True love. And that's Marcellina. That's mm-hmm. Don Basilio and mm-hmm. even the Count. Mm-hmm. And they're there kind of pursuing a more ephemeral love mm-hmm. and fleeting love, as it were. Right. Or looking to love to be their ticket, their passage, as opposed to something that sustains them. You know, it it sustains them in a completely different fashion, you know, as a contract, as a, you know, a business partner. Absolutely. As opposed to um, really that uh, love for love's sake. 
And that kind of stark black and white between what these characters are after really comes out in this excerpt from the Act 2 finale. Now, the Act 2 finale is in and of itself. I mean, just Mm -hmm. take it out of The Marriage of Figaro and you still have one of the greatest creations Mm -hmm. ever made. Um, And then you put it into the context (laughs) of the even greater creation of the whole opera together. But, you know, this Act 2 finale was longer than most symphonies that were around at this time. And Mozart builds this climax of the problem with the contracts, this division between true love and contractual obligatory love. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he builds that tension starting with a trio and then a quartet and then a quintet and ending with the sextet. And you've got all these characters kind of coming and going from these scenes as it just escalates. And then in this excerpt, you will hear the real division between the lyrical longing that's happening with Susanna Figaro and the Countess on one side of the room, really. Yeah. And then Basilio, Marcellina, and the Count kind of having a bit more of the drive and the chit-chatty, kind of almost more um, malevolent music here. Yeah. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. These are, if you think of it like a chorus work or even just listening through your speakers, you've got left channel and right channel here. Right. And Mozart wants these two groups of people to sound separate and distinct here Pitted from each against other. each other, yeah. yes, right. Ugh, and there's almost like genius. this, they're, they're chasing around a chair after each other, yeah. you know, and they're kind of just going around in circles and tagging back and forth musically. And there's just kind of this this tension over what music here is going to succeed. And that's the beauty of this end of the Act 2 finale. <laughs> Now, our real introduction to the Count Almaviva comes really quite late in the opera. And this is his aria, Aijavinta la Causa. Now, what's happened here is that Susanna and Figaro have just found what they think to be a loophole in Uh the contract that he has with Marcellina. Uh And she's going to get from her uncle, Antonio, the gardener, she's she's going to get the dowry money that's coming to her and pay it off as an advance to Marcellina to get Figaro out of the contract, right? Right. So they're, they're, they're going about this every which way they can. But they're not quite aware that the Count has entered the scene. And so as Susanna and Figaro are parting ways, she says... We've won our case, Aijavinta la causa, which sets the count off. Mm. And in this aria, it's it it is a rage aria. And Mozart didn't write all that many traditional rage arias. Sure. It's basically this one and everything that the Queen of the Night sings. Right. Um <laughs> and you've got this moment where we see kind of something about his character that's really unnerving. And 
yeah, there's this whole Dwa de Seigneur thing that he's wanting to practice, but he actually is starting to realize that his stability, the stability of his station, of his position, yeah. is not secure. Right, if you're being bested by your servants, exactly. you in trouble, and he son. he says, it's going to be a cold day and you know where right. if I see a servant happier than I am. Ooh. And think about where we are with this piece. Right. 1786, the French right. Revolution right. is right there on the horizon when he saw as a young man a French-spoken version of the original the Marriage play. of Figaro, mm. the, of the original play, a young Napoleon Bonaparte called this the revolution already set in motion. Oh, my. And so this is starting to really play into the anger, the backlash that is going to come from the aristocracy after they lose their king and, you know, you know, a couple of people that get beheaded here and there. Right. Um, in, in the wake, you know, in the immediate time around this. And the servants are rising. The middle class is starting to develop itself. Right. There is, finally, you know, by the turn of the 19th century, there is a middle class. Right. right. And it goes hand in hand with what is happening here on the stage. You have this incredible moment where it's almost like the Count is standing here and defending. It's like the last great stand of the aristocracy in this aria. Is there any likability to it at all? Do we like him at all at that moment? Because we're hmm. still, right? Aren't we all still rooting for Susanna? Susanna we're and all Figaro. We're rooting for Susanna and Figaro, absolutely. Right? And this is an impressive display of his bravura um, by the Count. But it, it's fleeting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he, he's already had to apologize at least once. He's Ooh. already been embarrassed. Ooh-ooh. He's already found Cherubino hiding under tablecloths and overhearing things that a young page boy should not overhear right. his master saying. <laughs> he's already had to apologize in the Act 2 finale, I think at least twice, mm-hmm. to um, the Countess. And so he's, you know... It's it's a soliloquy, so he's he's venting his anger, but he's really standing on his last leg here. Yeah. With this next number, we're going to go into a bit of a spoiler alert. We've got Marcellina, who has this outstanding contract at Figaro. And we've got Don Bartolo, um, who has his own need for vengeance because he had lost in the Barber of Seville, Rosina. Well, in comes an attorney, Don Curzio, Mm -hmm. and he has figured out that the contract with Marcellina is basically firm. The contract can only be bought out by Figaro himself and not through this dowry that Susanna is hoping to bring. However, 
in a little turn of events, there starts to be this discussion about a birthmark on Figaro's arm. And it's recalled by Marcellina at first that this child that she had had years ago had a very similar birthmark on his arm. You see where this is going? I see where this is going. And so, after a long, long time apart, Marcellina realizes that, in fact, Figaro is her son, who had been abducted at a young age. This is totally unrealistic, by the way. Like, well, you know, yeah, it saves the day, but thank goodness, yeah, you know. Suspend all disbelief here, please. Right. But, you know, uh, it's this great reveal that, in fact, Marcellina is Figaro's mother. And guess who the father is? Dr. Bartolo. Dr. Bartolo. So they had a, a little bit of a tryst in their younger years. Um, they may have even found that love that they've both been looking after. Right. And they do eventually, in some productions, get together. Get back together mm-hmm. out of maybe obligation at this point. Sure. But it's this wonderful, hilarious reveal. And uh, Marcellina just wraps up Figaro in a huge bear hug. My son! Says, remember this embrace? Haven't you missed this? And so everybody is on stage. I mean, Dr. Bartol is there, Marcellina is there, (laughs) the the attorney Don Curzio and Figaro, but Susanna's not there because she's off getting the dowry. So Susanna enters at the end of the scene. She sees this big, like, moment of affection happening between Marcellina and Figaro. She thinks that Figaro is is content to go forward with the contractual marriage. Yeah, the contract, she's in. So she walks in and she slaps him. Oh, no. And and everybody's trying to say, oh, Susanna, Susanna, wait, wait, wait. She won't listen. She doesn't want to listen. She says, senti questo. Yeah, you listen to this. And then she slaps Figaro. Senti questo! (laughs) (laughs) So after this delightful turn of events, which leaves... Figaro debt-free, Susanna with her dowry intact, we get to move on to the last few scenes of the opera. Specifically, one moment that I want to talk about here is the incredible aria for Susanna, De Vieni Non Tardar. Here in this scene, what's so delightful about it is that they've kind of figured out that the final way to really catch the count red-handed pursuing Mm -hmm. Susanna and to embarrass him to the extent that he'll give up is to disguise Susanna as the countess Mm -hmm. and the countess will disguise herself as Susanna. And so they Mm -hmm. switch clothing. Mm -hmm. And so the plan is, is that the count will make his advances on Susanna who is conveniently wearing her wedding veil Mm -hmm. as it's her wedding night. And when he goes to make his advance, he'll take up the veil and he'll find that it's his wife. And so he'll be embarrassed to the point of giving up on his Mm. pursuit of Susanna. Right. But in this moment, Susanna is getting this whole new world experience of dressing like the countess. Right. And what is so beautiful about this moment, in Susanna's introductory recitative, Junsofie Momento, now finally this moment... When Mm -hmm. she thinks about um, enjoying her wedding night and her future with Figaro, 
Um, she is elated to finally have the ability to speak because she's dressed as a countess to express a noble sentiment. Mm. Now, for Susanna, Mozart adds violins, violas, and a whole bass section. Right. And this is what is called an accompanied recitative. When Susanna, who is speaking to Figaro, even though he thinks she's speaking to the Count, mm-hmm. asks her to come and to rest in this beautiful bower, this shady glade with her. And so that is really the heart-stopping moment in the marriage of Figaro that I want to end this discussion on. Hmm. That moment of sheer beauty, a melody, an accompaniment that only Mozart can write. He's poking holes in our expectations of class, of gender, of stereotypes. Right. Um, and it wouldn't have been lost on his audience. No, no. And we go back to the commentaries on the marriage of Figaro throughout history, and it it keeps on kind of appearing as this, as you mentioned earlier, I think this great testament to true love. Yeah. It wins out in right. the end. There's fireworks, there's a grand marriage. Yeah. It ends on such a happy note. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you at The Marriage of Figaro, performing at the Michigan Opera Theater, the David D. Chiara Center for the Performing Arts. Performances begin on November 11th and run through November 19th. Visit us online at michiganopera.org. The Marriage of Figaro has an all-star cast with Paolo Schott singing Count Almaviva, Devon Guthrie singing Susanna, one of our favorites, Nicole Cabell, singing Countess Dalmaviva. Figaro is Aubrey Alicock. The production is directed on the stage by Michael Patrick Albano, and our principal conductor, Stephen Lord, will lead the exquisite Michigan Opera Theater Orchestra in this wonderful Mozart masterpiece. I'm Austin Stewart for Michigan Opera Theater. Our great thanks go to WDET and our producer, Jake Neer, all of the community programs and education staff members at Michigan Opera Theater. We'll see you at the opera.